this morning we are in the third part of our series that we've been in called Stand. Say Stand. Stand. And we've been talking about this subject of really asking the question, will we stand or how will we stand in a culture and society that is forever changing? Uh, will we stand up in week one? Will we stand up or stand out for righteousness and holiness? Last week, we talked about the, uh, the question, will we stand in faith whenever the furnace heat gets turned up? Because we remember a, 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 a tested faith is a faith that can be trusted. And so do we have a trusted faith? Well, you got to have a tested faith. And so today we're going to talk on the subject of or asking the question, will we stand for truth? Will we stand for truth? How many of you would agree this morning that anytime you stand for truth, there's always going to be some form of confrontation when you stand for truth? It's always going to be somebody confronting the truth. Uh, by a show of hands here this morning, I kind of want to get a feel for those who are here this morning and those online, you can participate in this as well too. But how many of you here this morning, just to be honest, by a show of hands, do not like confrontation? Who does not like confrontation? Just wave them high, wave them high. You can, you can wave higher than that. Let me see, wave them high. Some of y'all don't like confrontation so much, you didn't even want to raise your hand because like, I don't want anybody to be, confront me on this. Like, I, I don't know. So, okay, that's, 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 that's a good, good group of you that don't like confrontation. Now, let me, those of you online, let us know where you're at in that too. But also, this morning, let me ask you a question. How many of you here don't mind confrontation? Don't mind it. See, few, few, few. Okay, okay, I see you, I see you. See, those of you that don't like, com that, those of you that don't mind confrontation, that don't have a problem with confrontation, I, I put you in what I call the wish zone, the wish zone. It's where you wish somebody would tell you something crazy. You wish somebody would look at you crazy. You wish somebody would do something. Like, like you, you're ready to confront somebody. You, you are in that category. Like, just, just bring it on. Just look at me funny. Just look at me funny. We're in Texas now, so it's like, hey, just look at me funny. Like, like you know, you're like, like you, some of y'all like confrontation. Some of you are, are, are just, that, that drives you. It just does something to you. And so there are two different groups here. And, and with those two different groups, there, there's two different extremes. Because for those of you that don't like confrontation, uh, it, a lot of the mentality that we have because of our, our, our dislike for confrontation is we, we, we don't want to get in people's business. We, we don't want to come across like we're judging people. Uh, we, we, we just afraid of the outcome. Like what if we need to confront somebody that we are in relationship with? What if we need to confront a friend? What if we need to confront a family member? Like what's going to be the outcome of this relationship? Is it going to change things? Is it going to make things weird and awkward? And sometimes it can't. But because of that and because of those thoughts, we just don't want to confront altogether. We're like, let me just leave it be and just trust that it's going to work itself out. And then that's one extreme. But then the other extreme, for those of you that, that, that don't mind confrontation or maybe you like confrontation, sometimes when you confront, you can confront unlovingly. You're driven by confrontation so much, you don't really care about the other person's feelings. You just want to get your point across. You want to confront for truth. You're driven by confrontation. So in many ways, you stand up for truth, but in the wrong way. And so we see these two different type of extremes when it comes to confrontation. Either you outright just 
want to bypass confrontation and ignore it and hope it works itself out, or you're driven by confrontation so much you don't think about the person's feelings and you don't confront in the right way. Wherever you are in that this morning, wherever you land in your place of confrontation, uh, I, I hope that today's message, and my prayer is that today's message would be a, an encouragement for you, uh, uh, would be in, in many ways informative for you, uh, and, and, and would bless you and maybe even convict you on where you land when it comes to confrontation. And so today we're going to be uh, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. We've been going through the book of Daniel in this series, but Daniel chapter 4 uh, takes us to a situation where Daniel has to confront King Nebuchadnezzar. He has to confront King Nebuchadnezzar in truth and for truth. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 4, uh, or you can follow along on the screen, but just want to kind of set the scene here for Daniel 4. Daniel 4 begins really letting us know that this is a somewhat of a journal entry or a diary entry of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, if you recall, we've learned in the previous weeks, uh, he is this, this, this pagan king of Babylon who uh, he's a, 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 a king that is driven to lead by fear. He had a very uh, 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 violent reputation in, in how he led people. Many were afraid of him. He was a powerful king. And so in Daniel 4, we see this kind of journal entry from this king who is living in a time where his kingdom is, is, is prosperous. He's living a time where he's pretty content and everything is all good. But while he's living in this season of prosperity and, and, and being content, he has this dream. He has this dream or this, this vision, uh, 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 or a dream of some kind that, that really troubles him. And so he's going to give us a description of what this dream looked like. In Daniel chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 10. Daniel chapter 4, verse 10. This is King Nebuchadnezzar talking here. Verse 10, he says this, These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me, before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The, the tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches, and from it every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants and among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Verse 17, the decision is announced by the messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest 
of people. Let's push the pause button right there for a moment. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, living in a time where his kingdom was doing very well, very prosperous, very popular, famous king, his, his name and notoriety has spread all around the world. He has this dream or this vision that is troubling to him. This dream that is troubling him so much, he's got to get an interpretation for it. Like, I need somebody to tell me what this dream means. I don't fully know what it means, but I've got a bad feeling about this dream. So I I need somebody to give me some information. I need someone to give me some insight. Anybody here ever had those dreams before where you felt like they really meant something? Like, Like, there's just something to this dream. Now, I don't, I don't believe that every dream means something. I mean, sometimes there's dreams that hold significance and it means something. And then sometimes there are those dreams, what I like to call pizza dreams. It's those dreams you have because you ate pizza past 11 o'clock at night the night before. Like those type of dreams, like you have those type of dreams that are just weird. But then there are some dreams that hold some significance, I believe. There's some dreams that I feel are speaking to us. There's dreams that prompt us to prayer. There there are dreams that prompt us to seek the Lord. There are dreams that you have sometimes where you're like, man, I I wish I had some understanding of what this dream meant. Like I really, like I feel like it has some sort of significance, but I don't really know what this is. And, And this is Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, clearly this dream means something. I woke up feeling a certain way. I woke up feeling a certain heaviness with this dream. And so he calls all the wise men of Babylon. I need you to come tell me what this dream means. And so he calls his, these wise men of Babylon. They come in. He says, let me tell you this dream. I need you to interpret it for me. And all of them said, we don't know what this means. We don't know what this dream means. Now, let me just kind of venture off a little bit from the scripture because I don't really know how factual this is or even if this is true or not, but there's a part of me that feels like some of these wise men had an idea of what this dream meant. There's a part of me that feels like some of these wise men were like, "Eh, this dream ain't so good. And if I tell him the truth of this dream or what I think it means, there's a possibility I could die and lose my life. I don't know how the king is going to react to this dream. And so the safe thing to do is to say, "Ah, I don't know what it means. And so he leaves, and they're gone, and they they can't interpret the dream for him. And and, and so he calls in Daniel. Because in Daniel chapter 2, which we did not touch on uh, in this series, but in Daniel 2, a similar situation happened. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Daniel was the only one that can interpret it. Remember, Daniel is is, is a Hebrew boy, a Hebrew man, and he's a a man of faith, a man that follows the heart of God, a man that that stayed uh, 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 standing up for faith, standing up in truth, a man that stands for God. And and, and so he he trusted Daniel, and so he calls Daniel in. He says, Daniel, I've got this dream. I need you to interpret it for me because I know it means something. I need you to be honest with me. Tell me this dream. And so Daniel, so Nebuchadnezzar tells him this dream, and uh, Daniel doesn't like what he hears. Right. Daniel doesn't like what he hears. Daniel knows exactly what this dream means. Daniel knows that this dream is not the best dream. He knows that this dream is pretty dark in a lot of ways. 
and that the news of this dream to the king would be troubling to him. And so Daniel's hesitant to even tell the, dream, the, the, the meaning of this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, but Nebuchadnezzar presses him. He's like, Daniel, I need you to tell me what this dream means. Come on, I, I just need to know. I need you to interpret it for me. And so Daniel, even in his hesitancy, and I don't believe it was because Daniel was afraid. I just believe that Daniel knew that this, this dream was going to be heavy on the king. In fact, when he, before he begins to tell Nebuchadnezzar the dream, he says, really, king? Um, I really wish that this dream was for your enemies or about your enemies. I really wish that this dream was for your adversaries because this isn't good. And so Nebuchadnezzar prompts him and prods him to get this dream interpreted. He wants to know what this dream means. And so in verse 22, Daniel begins to confront the king in truth and the reality of what this dream means. Verse 22 says, he says, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. And so if you remember in this dream, he saw this, this tree, this illustrious tree that reached to the heavens, and he saw it, and it was, it was feeding people. It was nourishing people. It was this great tree. And so Daniel says, you're that tree. This is talking about you, king. This is talking about your kingdom. It's talking all about you. But if you recall in the dream, it says that the messenger came, this angel of the Lord came and said, cut it down. Cut this tree down. And Daniel goes on in verse 25. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. See, if you recall throughout Daniel, what we've read in the past few weeks, Daniel, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has these kind of up and down moments with God. We saw last week where, 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 where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire. And they were saved, they were unharmed, and there was the fourth man that looked like a, a, a son of the gods that Nebuchadnezzar said. And Nebuchadnezzar came to the realization that, man, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God is legit. Your God is real. And so he made a declaration that we're going to worship their God. We're going to worship Jehovah God. We're going to worship the God that saves. And so Nebuchadnezzar now has an idea of God, the one true God. But Nebuchadnezzar was on this roller coaster relationship with God because Nebuchadnezzar still wanted his kingdom to be ruled the way he wanted to rule it. Nebuchadnezzar still wanted to, still wanted to worship his gods. He's cool with the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's cool with that God, but he still wanted his other gods too. 
And so Nebuchadnezzar wasn't fully 100% convinced that that Jehovah God was the only way to go. And so he was kind of real wishy-washy with his faith in God. And so now he has this dream and Daniel says, look, you're this tree in this dream. And yes, king, your, the, the, your kingdom was great. Your kingdom is awesome. Your kingdom is widely known. But the angel talking about cutting down this tree is the angel saying your kingdom will be cut down. Not only that, you're going to go crazy. You are literally going to go from your throne room to living in the wild with animals. You're going to go insane. And this will go on for seven years. Seven years, you're going to be living in insanity. For seven years, you're going to be living and eating amongst the animals in the wild. You'll be cut down from your throne. I love the fact that Daniel... Even in this moment where he didn't really know how the king was going to react. He didn't know what the king was going to say. He didn't know how the king was going to respond to this dream. Daniel was not afraid to confront in truth. Daniel was not afraid to let the king know the realities of this dream. But but I love the fact that Daniel, even in confronting the king in truth, you saw the heart and compassion of Daniel towards his king. He said, oh, king, I I wish that this dream was for somebody else. King, I, I, I really wish that this dream was for your enemies. I don't wish that this dream was for you. I don't wish that this would fall on you or anybody else, but here's the situation. It's going to go really, really bad for you. It's going to go really, really bad for you. Your kingdom will be cut down. You're going to go insane. You're going to live with the animals. But this will go on for seven years until you acknowledge God. Until you come to the place and realization that Jehovah God is the God of all. Until you come to the place and realization that you are nothing without him. Until you come to the place and realization that this God is far greater than you will ever be. That he is the one and true God. Until you acknowledge that heaven rules. And so he tells them, there's an opportunity for you to be restored in this, but you're going to have to change. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to acknowledge God. But Daniel doesn't just stop there, though that's truth. Daniel gets even more practical with it for him and begins to give him a plan of what he must do, and he begins to lovingly tell him what he must do. Verse 27, therefore, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. 
Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that when you're, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. So now he tells them the reality of this dream, but then he calls them to repentance. He says, King, it doesn't have to go this way. You can repent and change. I mean, in all actuality, even at that moment, the king could have repented and changed. Doesn't this show the heart and mercy of God towards even wicked people? Doesn't this show how much God loves King Nebuchadnezzar, even in all his evil and wickedness? He's giving him an opportunity to change. And Daniel is the mouthpiece. Daniel is the one that has to confront the king in this. Daniel is the one that has to speak truth to this king. But not just truth, but also in love and compassion. So he says, king, this is what you must do. If you want your kingdom to be restored, you must do these things. And so he calls him to repentance. And so see, this is where the, the middle ground lies for where you're at in confrontation. See, a lot of us who, who, who don't like to confront, there have been a lot of missed opportunities to speak truth to someone, all because we were afraid to confront. We were probably just like those wise men of Babylon. Oh, no, wow, we don't know what that means. We don't know what this dream means. Oh, no, no, we're, 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 you're asking the wrong people. And many people who don't like to confront, when there's an opportunity to present truth to someone, Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody within the church. Maybe it's someone we need to confront. We need to, 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 to take the cue of Daniel and say, regardless of the outcome, I've got to display this truth. I may be reluctant to do it. I may not want to do it because it's going to be a hard conversation. See, confrontation, I don't have a problem with confrontation. But because I don't have a problem with confrontation doesn't mean that I like confrontation. I don't like it. I don't wake up in the morning and say, who can I confront today? I don't wake up with that in mind. But I don't have a problem with confrontation because there are many times where confrontation is necessary. And like Daniel in this moment, confrontation was necessary regardless if he really wanted to or not. He knew it was necessary. Daniel didn't like giving the king this information, but he knew he had to. And so for those that, that don't like confrontation, maybe this puts you in a position where you say, man, regardless of how I feel, it is necessary that I confront. It's necessary that I stand up for truth because it's necessary that this person that I'm speaking to, this may be a life or death situation for them. And so Daniel confronts. But he confronts with a compassionate heart. And there may be people in your life, even at this moment, that you know you need to confront. But my prayer is that you confront with a compassionate heart. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person Gently, say gently. Should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. See, see, 
a lot of us remove that word gently. <laughs> we just like the fact that we need to confront somebody and tell them how wrong they are. But we seem to ignore gently. All we want to do is make sure we get our point across. All we want to do is make sure we get our truth communicated, regardless of how the other person feels. You who live by the Spirit, how many of you live by the Spirit? Should be all of us. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I just want to be practical about this. And let me just give you some practical points and practical tips on how we need to confront people. Because if there are people in your life this morning that you know you need to confront, if there are people in your life this morning that you know are on a road to destruction, and nobody else seems to be confronting them, and nobody else seems to be telling them truth, and you know you have the truth on the inside of you, and you know you're probably the one that needs to confront, then this is for you. If you're that person that says, man, I can't wait to confront them, this is for you. And so the first thing we need to do before we confront is before you confront someone, pray. If there's someone in your life that you know you need to confront, if there's someone in your life you know you need to speak truth to, pray. Talk to the Lord. Talk to him. Whether you like confrontation or whether you don't like confrontation, talk to God. Because either way in the scenario, as followers of Jesus, we need to be those that stand for truth. Even when it hurts even when it's uncomfortable, even when we don't like it. Before you confront somebody, pray. Talk to God. Ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Ask how God would like you to speak to this person. And the second thing you need to do is this. After you pray, you always confront with the goal of restoration. Always confront with the goal of restoration. Cry out to God, say, God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. Help me confront so that this person can come to know the truth of who you are. Help me confront with the hope that somebody would come to restoration in you. Help me to confront that this person would find healing. Help me to confront that this person would find life. See, and that will shift the thinking for some of you that maybe don't have a problem with confrontation or really love confrontation. See, some of us that like confrontation, some of us that, that don't mind confronting people, I shiver to think sometimes that the, of, of, of the damage that we've left in our, in our path by how we've confronted people in the past. We were standing up for truth, but you left them bleeding. We were standing up for truth. I'm just speaking my mind. I'm speaking what I know is right. Well, that's great, but did you check their well-being after you left the conversation? 
Did you confront them with the goal of restoration? Did you confront them with the mindset, hey, I'm going to speak my truth in this? But my goal is not that I leave you wounded. My goal is not that I have the last word. See, that's the problem with a lot of us, too. We always want to have the last word. Well, that's just my personality. That's just who I am. Poor excuse. My Bible says that you are a new creation in Christ. The old you, done away with, gone. But when you confront somebody, you confront with the goal of restoration. You confront with the goal is I'm going to speak my truth, and it's going to be a hard truth, and it's going to be a heavy conversation, and this may be an awkward conversation. But in the end, God, I pray that there's restoration here. In the end, I pray that there is, there is healing here. And so before we confront, we pray, and we always confront with a goal of restoration. Number three, write this down. And when we confront, we always confront with caution. Always confront with caution. Pray, out, pray God, help me confront with caution. Give me wisdom in the words that I need to say. Give me wisdom in the, in the, wisdom in the words that I need to speak. Help my words be just drenched in love and compassion. Let me, when I say, when I'm confronting you because I love you, let me mean it. Let me mean it. So what happens to King Nebuchadnezzar? Well, I would love to say King Nebuchadnezzar took the cues and said, you know what, I don't want that to happen. What do I need to do? Let me repent right now. Well, no, it doesn't happen. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar just kind of wrote it off and been like, oh, man, well, at least you told me what it means, but let me go back to my throne and rule the way I want to rule. Because clearly what, what happens if you read the text, um, it goes pretty bad for Nebuchadnezzar. Even after he was confronted, even after he was faced with the truth. In Daniel 4, verse 34, we come to a place and a turning point for Nebuchadnezzar. Because, see, Nebuchadnezzar one day, he's out. In his kingdom, he's out walking in his kingdom. He doesn't repent. He doesn't change his ways. And we see this dream fulfilled. And so one day he's out admiring his kingdom, admiring all that he's built. He's, he's feeling prideful. He's feeling himself. He's like, yeah, look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. And instantly he was struck by insanity. The dream came true. And he was driven away from his people. And this king left his throne to go live and eat with the animals. The Bible says that his hair grew like eagle feathers. His nails were like claws of birds. Some of you are like, man, that's how my nails look now. I've been in quarantine for like eight months. Like, yo. But it came true. It came to pass. He went insane. He went crazy. He went to go live and eat among the animals. And this happened for seven years, just like the dream foretold, just like the truth that was communicated. But in verse 34, again, 
There was truth in what was going to happen to him, truth of what was going to happen if he did not repent. But here's the goal of restoration, verse 34. At the end of that time, the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, remember this is his diary entry. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Yes, he went through his seven-year stint of insanity and living like the animals. But God loved him so much that even at the end of that seven years, he looked up to heaven, and all he had to do was repent and acknowledge God. And immediately his insanity His sanity was restored. He was healthy again. He became whole again. But it was restoration. See, Daniel confronted with the goal of restoration. Daniel didn't confront and see this as an opportunity just to strike on the king. Oh, I'm going to get one over on the king. I'm going to put him in his place. I'm going to let him know how I feel. I'm going to let him know how my God thinks. I'm going to let him know all these different things. I'm going to make him feel low and low and low. I'm going to show this king. He didn't have that mentality. He confronted with the goal of restoration. And my hope and my prayer is that we confront with the goal of restoration. Because, see, that's the model of Jesus. That's the model of Jesus. John 1.14, the word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Jesus came with the combination of grace and truth. I'm going to speak truth. All I know is truth. And sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is heavy. Sometimes the truth can make you feel awkward. But I can't help but tell you the truth. But wrapped up, wrapped up is this truth, wrapped up with grace. I'm telling you the truth because I love you. I'm telling you the truth because I want to see you exceeding this. I want to see you come out of this. I'm telling you the truth because I'm for you. And I hope and I pray that this is a word of wisdom for those of you out there today that need to confront people. There's some folks in my life that I know I've I've got to confront this person on this issue. Do I like it? No. But is it necessary? Yes. Yes. And so I'm going to sit them down, and I'm going to wrap this thing in love and compassion. And I love you, and I am for you. And this is why I have to tell you this. I don't know how the outcome is going to be. I don't know if they're going to receive it. I don't know if they're going to like it. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know in my heart, because I talk to my God first, then my goal is to see restoration in this person's life. And when my goal is to see restoration in this person's life, the way I speak to them is going to be different. The way I direct them is going to be different. It's 
not about my personality. It's not about how I am. It's not about any of that. It's about what God wants me to say to this person. Because in the end, if I walk away from that conversation and, they, and they're left bleeding on the floor, they're left bruised and, knocked, and just knocked out on the ground and hurting and wounded from what I told them, and I did nothing, nothing to help restore them, I did nothing to show compassion to them, I did nothing for restoration, then, man, I failed in that conversation. I failed with my confrontation. And my hope and my prayer is that we take cues from Daniel to say, look, I need to tell you this truth. Even though I don't want to, I've got to tell you this truth. But it's wrapped in grace and compassion. And that just like Jesus came to this earth full of grace and truth, that we too would be representatives of our God. That we would be representatives of followers of Jesus full of grace and truth. We can't have one without the other. The next time you have a conversation, ask yourself the question, am I packaging this truth with grace? Am I packaging this truth with love and compassion? Is my goal for this conversation for there to be restoration, or do I just want to have the last word and the final say in this? May we be people that confront in truth and grace. May we be people that stand up for truth the right way. May we be people that represent him well. Let's stand to our feet.